As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live small group cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. So, Mike. Yes? You remember April Dunford. She's the founder of Ambient Strategy. Uh, she had a talk at Industry this year. Y yes, I definitely remember it. She actually has a book that just came out called Obviously Awesome. And, yeah, her talk was great. I think hers was the highest rated talk at all of industry. And, um, and yeah, we're, we invited her to join us at Industry Europe in March in Dublin, Ireland. So, Yes, I did not forget about April. <laughs> I, I'm not surprised. I had a number of people walk up to me at the event and say, you guys have to cover this topic. You have to cover product positioning. We never hear enough about it. Yeah, no, I, that's that's totally makes sense. Uh, so did you call up April and get an interview with her? Well, no. See, I, I searched on YouTube until oh, okay. I found her talk at industry. And since it was so uh -huh. good, I decided, why don't we just break down that talk on the show today? 
All right. Okay. I got you. I think that that does sound easier. Um, so, okay. Today, I guess we'll be talking about product positioning. Yeah, you got it. Welcome to Rocketship.fm. Rocketship FM is produced in partnership with Product Collective. We are your hosts, Michael Saka. And I'm Mike Belsito. So, product positioning. How would you define it? Okay, it's like how you position a product in the market. Um, but it's not marketing. It's not a vision. Uh, it's your product foundation, uh, what it is and why someone would care. Yeah, your product foundation. Did you just make that up? I like it. Yeah, I think, you know what? I trademarked that. I should. I, mean, I, think, <laughs> I think that's a thing for me now. <laughs> so let's have uh, April walk through what product positioning is and what it's not. It is not a tagline. It is not the same thing as messaging. It is not, this is my personal pet peeve when people say brand positioning. There is branding, there is positioning. Those two things are completely separate. In fact, every single thing on this chart flows from positioning. You need positioning first before you can do any of these things. I like to think of it this way. If everything the company does in marketing and sales is the house, Positioning is the foundation upon which the house is built. I like to define it this way. Positioning defines how our product is the best in the world at providing something that a well-defined set of customers cares a lot about. That's a bit of a mouthful. I'll do it once more. Positioning defines how our product is the best in the world at something that a well-defined set of customers cares a lot about. It answers the basic questions like, what is this thing? Why should I care? So April goes on to talk about adding context setting for products, uh, again, laying that foundation of what the product is and why someone would care to use it. Right. She she used this example of a product that look, it kind of looked like strange shoes that are shaped like a duck's beak with a strap that wraps around the heel. Context is really important, particularly when we're talking about a new product, because that's how we make sense of things that we've never encountered before. When we see a product outside of context, it's frequently really hard to figure out. Here's an example. This is an example of a product that I encountered once completely out of context on Amazon. And when I first saw this product, I was convinced, you know what I thought this thing was? I thought it was a shoe. Yeah, I thought that Crocs was going to double down on that whole super ugly shoe thing. And they had like cut out the toe and like put this super ugly thing at the back. Um, I sent it to my friend. I'm like, get a load of these ugly shoes. And then later I saw the product in context uh, and it became clear what it was and what it was good for. What it is is a dog muzzle. What it's good for is embarrassing your dog in public. Okay, so positioning a product includes adding context to that product. And as April puts it, a shift in positioning can completely transform the way people see your product. But what makes up that context when we're talking about positioning? Were you paying attention to her during her talk? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I guess not close <laughs> enough. <laughs> well, I, it's better to have April explain anyway. And I should note, as she's talking here, she has a slide up with over 7,000 marketing software companies that are active today. 
One of the main ways we figure this out or we set context for products is by market categories. So you can see on this chart, Scott's attempted to do that a little bit with colors, like the red stuff is advertising and the orange stuff is content. So let's say I'm a marketer and I want a solution to put live chat on my website. I might look at this thing and say, hmm, that yellow stuff is social in relationships. And oh, yeah, sure enough, here's a box that says bots and live chat. That's pretty good. So by positioning a thing in a market category, now I'm not comparing to 7,000 products. Now I'm down to, you know what, it's not great even with this, but it's better than 7,000, I've got a few dozen. But that's not all positioning a product in a market category does. All right, so we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. When Rain Wilson realized he had a special gift for talking people to sleep, he had two choices. Construct a massive speaker that would blast his voice to every person in the country or invent a talking pillow. AT&T Business eventually talked him into the pillow thing. And backed by a reliable network, the only network with built-in security controls, Sleep With Rain was a hit. Take your ideas to the moon and beyond at business.att. Com. That's business.att.com. Okay, so where were we? April was talking about market categories and that they do more than just organize various solutions under one banner. So one of the things it does is it sets off a really powerful set of assumptions in the minds of customers about what your product is all about. It works a bit like this. Actually, we'll do this as an experiment. So um, you ever watch that TV show uh, Shark Tank? At, like pitch contest, start, you ever see startup pitch contest? Okay, so let's pretend we're doing a pitch contest here, except all I get to tell you is the market category that I'm in. Okay, so I'm gonna be the pitcher. Okay, here I am. All right. Oh my God, I'm on TV. Okay, so I'm here to pitch you my amazing product, and what it is is a super revolutionary, brand new, amazing CRM. That's it, that's all you get. All right, now here's the experiment. Who's my competitor? Salesforce, exactly. Name me two features that you expect my product to have. Pipeline tracking, tracking an account, right. What is the title of the person that I sell this product to? VP sales, head of sales, yeah, you expect that. Now here's where it gets interesting. What's my price? I didn't tell you my price. But what's my price? Well, it better not be more than Salesforce. They're the leader in that market. So I didn't give you a price, I didn't give you anything. All I told you was it was a CRM, and you made a whole bunch of assumptions about what that product was all about. Oh, that's, that's a great example. Let's, let's do another one. Okay. All right, I have a revolutionary enterprise analytics platform. Okay, uh, Google Analytics will still be your main competitor, but on the sales side, you'll be up against companies like Mixpanel and Amplitude. Your pricing will be event-based or at least tiered based on the event caps and it'll have an events API and the ability to visualize the data collected. Yeah, I think you nailed it. This is, this is kind of fun. <laughs> All right. Well, I have a cutting edge performance management platform. Hmm. Okay. Performance management. So your main competitors are going to be like Lattice or Workday. Your pricing will be per seat. 
probably between five and fifteen dollars. And you'll be able to record and track quarterly goals, I would imagine, as well as like weekly one on ones or the new hotness fifteen fives. This really does work. Yeah. Okay. I think everyone gets it, right? Um, so that works when you get your positioning right. But what about when you get it wrong? Unfortunately, it works the same if I do a lousy job of positioning my product. So if I position my product in a market category where the assumptions that it triggers about my product are not true, then my marketing and sales teams are going to have to make a significant effort undoing the damage that my positioning has already done. So I'll give you an example of this. I get a call from this company um, in Silicon Valley, and uh, they said, look, we, we have super happy customers. People that use our stuff love us. They never churn. But our problem is the first two, three times we pitch it to them, nobody can understand what the heck the thing is. You're the positioning lady. Maybe you can help us out. I said, sure, pitch it to me. They said, okay, so uh, the deal is uh, we're lawyers, ex-lawyers, and we decided we're going to make this thing. It's email for lawyers. Well, my first thought was, who knew the lawyers needed their own funky email? Like, but, you know, what do I know? I'm not a lawyer, thank God. And so I'm like, okay. So then they get into the demo and they start showing me this thing. It looks cool. It's got like an inbox thing. And at one point I interrupt the guy. I say, hey, so how does the calendar work on your email for lawyers? And they say, oh, we don't have a calendar. And I'm like, you don't have a wait, how does that work? So aren't you going to displace Gmail and Outlook? And they're like, no, no, we can't actually do that. We don't have a calendar. And I'm like, do you know what they call email that doesn't have a calendar? That's email you don't want to buy. It's email that nobody buys. And, and, and I said, wait, so, but everybody loves you. So what is it that your customers love about you? And they said, well, we have this thing. It's neat. We have a patent on it. It's this super secure context-aware file sharing. So I got lawyers, I got their clients, they want to collaborate on some documents. It will automatically see who should have access to the documents, puts them in a super secure place, and only the people that are allowed to see it see it. That's actually pretty cool. But it is also not email. If I wanted to do that, would I buy email? No, I wouldn't buy email to do that. So what these folks have is a really neat, innovative product masquerading as crappy email. So let's do an experiment. Let's pick it up and put it in another category. What if it was team collaboration for lawyers? Well, that's different. Now I got different competitors. My competitors, Slack-ish, they don't do anything special for lawyers. This thing must do something special for lawyers. Oh yeah, it does. Super secure, context-aware, file-sharing, doodad thing. All of a sudden, their product makes a ton of sense. We had, we had the best conversation about pricing. So the uh, problem with being in the email space is everybody expects your product to be free. So, uh, so team collaboration is better because people pay for that. So I said, oh, you're team collaboration for lawyers. You know what you should do? When you get the lawyers on the phone and they ask you about pricing, you just lean in there and you go, look, we built this thing special for lawyers. So we got this pricing and we're going to charge you by the minute. And then you just let that dangle. <laughs> and then you wait for them to say, but that's not fair. And you say, I know. 
All right, so I've got a good grasp on our category positioning, but there's more to it than just that. Yeah, no, April identifies five different elements that make up a positioning statement, which we'll get to right after a quick word from our sponsors. All right, where were we? We were breaking down the five elements that make up a positioning statement. The pieces are essentially these five things. And what they are are the blanks in the positioning statement. So they are, what's my market category? What are the competitive alternatives? What are my unique features? What is the value that I can deliver for customers? And who are my customer segments? That's it. I solved for each of those, put them together, I got good positioning. Now here's where this gets tricky. It turns out you can pick any one of these things and you start to realize all the pieces have a relationship to all the other pieces. So let's pick one, uh, value. The unique value that I can deliver for customers is completely dependent on my unique features. But my unique features are only unique when I compare them to a competitive alternative. My customer segment that I'm going to choose, these are the people that care the most about the value I can deliver. And my market category is actually the context that makes that value obvious to those people. Okay, but where would I start? So it looks like this. You actually have to start with competitive alternatives because the competitive alternatives are the things you compare against to decide what your unique features are. Those unique features drive your differentiated value. That differentiated value determines who your target customers are, um, and then that lets you determine the context, which is this value to these people. Now, there's a thousand ways to screw this up, actually. The biggest way people mess this up is step one, which is the competitive alternatives. So I do a lot of work with startups, and here's how they usually mess this up. So I'll say, hey, who are your competitors? And they'll say, oh, we got competitors. And they'll give me a list of all these little startups with three people working out of somebody's basement that nobody's ever heard of. They'll say, there's my competitors. And I'll say, hmm, that's interesting. So what do you have that they don't have? And they'll say, well, our big thing is ease of use. Like, look at theirs. It takes 15 clicks to do this thing. And with us, it only takes two clicks. So we're much easier to use. Then I go talk to their customers and I say, hey, Let's say these guys all got hit by a bus next week and they didn't exist anymore. What would you do instead? And you know what the customers say? The customers say, I don't know, man, use a spreadsheet. Maybe I'd hire an intern to do it. So do you actually think that you can be easier to use than an intern? The intern is really easy to use, trust me. Like, the intern's super easy. You're like, Joey, I need a coffee, cream and sugar, plus I need you to fill out that spreadsheet. And when you're done, come on back here and we'll be done. So if you start in the wrong place because you're thinking about competitors, instead of the actual competitive alternatives in the minds of your customers, you'll get all of this wrong. Makes sense. I, I always love the analogy that Ben Leonard made uh, when he talked with us about his time at Wonderlist. And he always said they weren't trying to beat other software products. They were trying to make a better experience than a pen and a pencil and paper. Let's do one more story from April about how she accidentally stumbled upon product positioning for a CRM product. So this is early in my career. Uh, and quite a few years back, I got a job at a company that was enterprise CRM. And Salesforce was around at that time, but 
They were selling at a really, really low end of the market, like small, medium businesses. And the leader in the market at the time was this giant company in the valley called Siebel. And so not surprisingly, every time we got a meeting with a client, uh, a prospect, prospect would ask, hey, so how are you different than Siebel? And the answer to that question was, we just kind of weren't. Um, so in fact, in every measure you could measure, they were pretty much better than us. They had 8,000 employees. We had, I think I was employee 28. Um, they had 2 billion revenue. We had 1.2 million. Uh, they had 400 customers. We had four. <laughs> and, uh, but we did have two things that we thought were really differentiating. One was this feature that, uh, you're product people, so you probably want to know. What it let you do was model a many-to-many -many relationship between people instead of companies. No CRM, even on the market today, does this. Uh, the problem was we never figured out how it really translated into value. Therefore, we never really understood who really wanted it. So we always showed it in demos. <laughs> We'd show it to people. We'd say, hey, look, you can model this many-to-many -many thingamajig. And the customers would go, wow, that seems kind of cool. What's it good for? What do you use it for? And we'd say, anything you want. <laughs> and they'd say, you got anything else? And we'd say, yeah, we do. And our other thing was, we are just complete, utter desperation to close some business because we were always broke. And so if you ask for a discount, we'd give you one. Yeah, I don't recommend that as positioning. But like, I remember once we were pitching to uh, CIO at a big telco and so we did the whole pitch we showed him our special feature and he didn't care and then he said what else have you got so we showed him the pricing and at the end he says oh now I get what you are you're the cheap crappy Siebel this is not good positioning um, so so this went this so this was kind of bad for a long time and um, and how we got out of this was a bit by accident. Uh, so we had a really hard time keeping salespeople, as you might imagine, because we weren't selling anything. And um, so we were always hiring new sales rep. And uh, my CEO was kind of a jerk. And he had this thing when he interviewed sales reps, he was all sort of a jerk to them. So this sales rep came in for an interview, and my CEO sits him down and says, give me one good reason why we should hire you to be a sales rep at our company. Well, this guy's from New York, and he had a bit of attitude, and he like leans over the desk, and he goes, I'll give you one good reason, because my buddy is the head of investment banking at Goldman Sachs, and I'm going to get you a meeting. And we're like, sounds good to us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's good. So we hire the guy, and then, uh, and, then, and then he gets us the meeting with the head of investment banking, Goldman Sachs. So I decide I'm going to go on the ride along just to see how this meeting goes. And mainly what I wanted to see was I wanted to see what the office of the head of investment banking at Goldman Sachs looks like. It's a lot like this room. <laughs> Maybe a little smaller. So anyways, we get into the meeting. And my rep is excellent. So he goes in, he does, the, he does the demo, and he gets to the part where he gets our special feature, and the guy gets really excited. He's like, wait, wait, what? Back up. So are you saying if this person and this person sit on a board together, we can model that? We're like, yeah, you can. And he says, but so if this person used to work with that person, and now they don't, you can model that? We're like, yeah, you can. He's like, hang up. I need the vice presidents. And he runs down the hall, get some guys that work for him that are vice presidents, they come back and he's like, show them the thing, show them the thing. 
So we show them the special feature again. They get all excited. They're like, what? So you, you're saying if these people used to work, they, work they, they belong to the same golf club. We can measure that. And we're like, yeah, you can model that in the software. And then they all turned to each other and started speaking their secret banker language and jumping up and down. And me and my sales rep were in the corner and it was like, have you ever been in a room full of really excited investment bankers? It's terrifying. <laughs> Anyway, so we get to the end of the meeting, and the guy's like, I got to have it. It's amazing. Let's do it. And so we're like, wow, maybe the bankers dig our stuff. So we get a meeting with Merrill Lynch. We go in, the exact same thing happens. We go in, we show them the thing, everybody jumps up and down, we close some business. So we're happy, we're selling some stuff, but more importantly, it triggered a conversation back in the office about what we were. And the conversation was, maybe we're not an enterprise CRM. Maybe we're a CRM for investment banks. If we positioned ourselves in that way, maybe an investment bank would actually call us instead of us having to figure out how to go in. And maybe we wouldn't get in a head-to-head -head against Siebel every single time we're in a deal. So now that might not seem like a big change to you, but I'm telling you, this was a fight. Like, you know who didn't like that? Our board didn't like it. Our investors didn't like it. They're like, look, we wrote you a check and invested in you, and you're supposed to be out there taking Siebel out. And now you're saying you're gonna be this little niche thing? Like, how are you ever gonna make any money doing that? And we eventually convinced them um, using two arguments. The first argument was, Dudes, we're not selling anything anyway. It's not like we're giving anything up here, you know. So, you know, it's not like, it's not like people are calling us. We're going to say, no, we're not selling to you. Like, that didn't happen. The second thing was we said, look, we're not going to be in investment banking forever. We're going to do investment banking. Then we're going to do retail banking. Then we're going to do commercial banking. Then we're going to do insurance. And once we dominate that, then we're going to be giant. Then we're going to take Siebel out and everything will be great. We'll all make money. It'll be fantastic. So they said, sure, go ahead, reposition it. So we did. And uh, this repositioning was utterly transformational to the business. The first thing was we never got in a head-to-head -head against Siebel again. So we would walk into meetings and we'd say, hey, we're CRM for investment banks. And the bankers would be like, wait, so don't you compete with Siebel? We'd say, Siebel, we love them. They are a fantastic company. They make so much money. They have this really fantastic general purpose CRM for like call centers in India or manufacturing plants or something, but not you, Wolf of Wall Street. You need something special. Let me show you the thing. Then we show them the thing. They jump up and down. We close the business. Um, so it, it was amazing. And we went from about 2 million revenue to a little under 80 million revenue in just under 18 months. Um, and then the end of that story is that Siebel got so sick of us kicking their tail all up and down Wall Street and then all around London and all around uh, other places where there's bankers in Europe that they came and acquired us for $1.3 billion. Yeah, not bad for cheap, crappy Siebel. I love ending an episode on a good story. If you want to dive deeper into April's positioning concepts, she's got that fantastic book that she just released. It's called Obviously Awesome, and it is obviously awesome. And actually, if you want to learn more from April, join us at Industry Europe. We'd love to have you with us. She'll be giving a talk there. Rumor has it, 
obviously awesome will be given to attendees there. So check that out. Mm -hmm. Um, And also her full talk is on YouTube, on the Product Collective YouTube. Yeah, that's where I got it. Check it out. There were parts that we we cut out. So if you want to see the full talk, um, it's definitely worth this 20 minutes. All right. Well, that was fun. What else is going on? Well, it's funny you ask, Michael, because November 1st through 10th is member week for Product Collective. So um, basically during that time, for anybody that signed up at Product Collective, you get access to pricing for industry, both editions, the global edition and the European edition for like 40% our day of show rate. So it's the we released this pricing. It's the most, you know, discounted pricing we'll offer all year. But that's November first through tenth. So we're really pumped about that. Oh, that's that's awesome. Well, hopefully people would jump on that. And for everyone else, see you right back here next week on uh, Rocket Ship FM. Thank you so much for listening to Rocketship.fm. It's your support that keeps the show going. Rocketship.fm is now part of the Podglomerate Network. If you want to learn more about the other shows on the Podglomerate Network, go to thepodglomerate.com. Rocketship.fm is produced in partnership with Product Collective, a community for product people. If you go to productcollective.com, you could check out live video interviews, sign up for our newsletter, be a part of our Slack group with over 6,000 product people. Just check it out at productcollective.com.